Good afternoon. How are we? Listen, you guys are incredible. Uh, my name is Brent Minter. I'm the lead pastor at Keystone Church, which is Let's Go. DMAC, can I get a Go Bears? Let's go. So, uh, which we're just up down the road. This is my wife, Carrie Minter. And uh, we are eager to talk to you today. Now, let me just get this out of the, out of the way. Uh, we were lied to. Uh, when we talked to Courtney about this uh, breakout, she said, hey, I need you to know something. Um, this is going to be one of the least attended breakouts. <laughs> and she said, but it'll be one of the most downloaded content. Because let's just, talking about sex can be awkward. And not everybody wants to walk into this room. So I just want to say from the get-go, thank you so much for taking the time to get in here. Because this can be an awkward conversation, especially us. Like, we felt like we drew the short straw for having to talk about this at conference. But so incredibly important. And here's what I believe about this room. This is how we're going to start this conversation is that when we come into this room, we're not going to think inside of this room about like, oh, this is something that the world struggles with. We're just going to agree that this is something we struggle with. Can we do that today? And so you need to know if that's the where I'm starting from, I'm actually going to come into this and I could take two different approaches this afternoon. The first approach I could take would be this guilt and shame. As I can walk in here, guilt means that you've done something wrong. And I promise you, in this room, everyone in this room, when it comes to sexual realities, you have done something wrong or you have been on the edge of something wrong and you're wondering if you should jump. Shame says this. Shame says you are wrong. It's not just that you did something wrong, but that you are wrong. And you know this, I could come and quote stats and I could threaten to pull the history of your phone and I could talk about you and your relationships and I could make you so guilty and ashamed right now. But you need to know this, in the gospel, guilt and shame never motivates for change. It just doesn't. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to take a different approach. We're going to take the approach of grace and truth. Did anybody hear the grace that Icky preached about last night? But God. So we're going to start there that God takes dead things and people who even been made alive and still chooses dumb things. And we're going to start with grace. And grace says that you're welcome to the table. That no matter where you're at, listen, the most sexually perverted, mistake-ridden person in this room, there's grace. But we're not going to stop with grace. We're also going to go for truth. And truth says this, hey, listen, I love you enough to tell you the truth from God's word. So the gospel says, man, you're welcome. But the gospel also says, but we're going to talk about the truth of the way things God designed place, designed our sexual reality. And that's what we're going to do. So I want you to just get out of your mind. Okay. You ain't got to look at somebody over there and be like, wonder if they're weird and you're weird. You don't have to come into this place and go, listen, I feel horrible because I know what I did last semester. I know what my history is over break. But we're going to come in in grace and truth and allow God to meet us. So I want to pray, and then Carrie's going to start us. God, this morning, afternoon. Sorry, I preach in the morning. (laughs) God, this afternoon, we're asking for an overwhelming presence of your spirit. Because talking about sex is awkward, but your word speaks to it. And we want to be students of your word. And so, God, I pray that the most guilty in here would feel grace but I pray that they would also feel truth 
and be transformed by the truth of the gospel and want to chase after you in the way you designed us to navigate this over-sexualized world. Amen. Amen. All right. So before we get started, we thought we'd just tell you a little bit about ourselves. Um, we have three kids, high schoolers, and we, growing up, as they were growing up, some of our favorite family vacations have been tent camping. Anybody tent campers in here? Oh, good. We're all tough Let's people go. in here. Yes, no glamping for us. Okay, so temp- tent camping, here's what you got to do. When, when it is cold outside, there's really no shelter from the cold, right? So a few years ago, we took them camping in Yellowstone. Beautiful place if you've ever been there. But the night we set up camp, it's 34 degrees outside, which is very cold. Um, and there's and so the only thing we could do, like our kids were complaining. I was trying not to complain. You were. Uh, I mean, it was very cold. The only refuge we had was we could build a fire, right? And so the fire that night became the source of delight. Just who gets to be closest to the fire? That's the only way we could get warm. The next few days as we were camping, uh, you know, the fire wasn't necessarily needed for us to be warm. The temperatures thankfully rose. Uh, but it just became the source of where all the fun happened. That's where we did s'mores. That's where we did hot dogs. That's where you, we played games. We like card games and different things. We sat around the fire. The, fi- the ring of fire became kind of where our center of activity and the fun in our family just happened. Yeah, so there's this reality of like this fire brought delight to our family. But then I made a pretty critical mistake. So we left one morning. There was a fire the night before, lots of laughing, lots of warm. And we left the next morning. We were kind of out in a hurry because we wanted to beat the crowds. And so we, I was like, I think the fire's fine. It kind of died down overnight. And we took off. And we were gone the entire day. And when we come back to our campsite, there was a park ranger sitting at our campsite. He was not happy. And he was he said, sir, do you realize that you left coals burning in your uh, fireplace? I was like, I didn't really, I mean, I thought it was kind of going. He goes, you don't understand how serious that is. He goes, because for us in this place, this is a desert mountain area, and we are under fire danger nonstop. And if an idiot camper like yourself leaves coals and the wind blows up and that fire gets outside of the ring, it will destroy hundreds of thousands of acres. And if you've ever been to Yellowstone, you can actually drive through parts of the park where it has been destroyed by fires. Like you can tell the difference like 10, 20 years earlier, there's fire that has destroyed parts of the park because the fire got out of the ring. And I think that's what we're going to come and talk to you about today is that when we think about sex, you need to know this. Inside the ring that God desired, it is a delight. Inside of where he designed it to be, by God's grace, you will be in a marriage where you get to enjoy the delight and joy and the warmth of the fire. It's incredible. But in the same way, I kind of want to be a ranger for you today and come to you and say, but if that fire gets out of sight of the ring that God desired, It has incredible destructive capacity. Yeah, and so um, outside of the ring is where destruction happens. So I just want to read to you. uh, You can write it down. I see all of you are taking notes. That's fantastic. Proverbs 5, 1 through 4 is kind of what I'm going to read out of right now. I'm reading out of the CSB here. It says, my son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen closely to my understanding. So that 
you may maintain discretion and your lips safeguard knowledge. Though the lips of the forbidden woman, context in here, it's a woman. For us, it's over-sexualized activity, sex outside of that ring, okay? Though the lips of the forbidden woman drip honey and her words are smoother than oil, in the end, she's as bitter as wormwood and as sharp as a double-edged sword. Outside of that ring, it says bitter as wormwood, as sharp as a double-edged sword. And so what are we talking about? Some of this forbidden sexuality that he's saying, like, okay, like, it seems tempting. It seems great. It's like, hey, it seems like it's dripping honey. Like, it's going to be wonderful, right? Some of those things that we're referring to right here, this would be um, lust, porn. It would be random hookups. It would be a committed relationship outside of marriage. You haven't put that ring on her finger or his finger and you're, and you're having sex. It would be same-sex relationships. It would be adultery. In the end, they're as bitter as wormwood, as sharp as a double-edged sword. Another translation says it this way. It won't be long before sex outside of that ring, that uh, forbidden sexuality, is gravel in your mouth a pain in your gut, a wound in your soul. It's dancing you down a perfumed path to death. So that's, you know, I I assume that you would expect us to read those kinds of passages about when sex goes awry and when it comes outside of the ring. But we also want to affirm deeply that in the scriptures, like there's some moments in the scripture like, okay, like it's affirming sex. It is saying sex is a delight. So in that same Proverbs, this is Proverbs 5, just to say, yes, it can be destructive, but it also is a delight. This is later on in Proverbs 5. It says this, let your fountain be blessed and take pleasure in the wife of your youth. A loving deer, a graceful doe, let her breast always satisfy you. Be lost in her love forever. Why, my son, would you lose yourself with a forbidden woman? With something outside of the ring or embrace, embrace a wayward woman. I recently had a friend who came to Christ later on. His, I led him to Christ and he was an adult and I was like, and he was getting married and we started talking about sex and I was like, Hey, let me read you some Bible. And he literally started blushing. Like, I didn't know that was in the Bible. <laughs> But here's what I'm trying to tell you. Sex inside the ring is a delight. It's an incredible reality of a married relationship. But if it gets out, it can be so destructive. And this is what's interesting, guys, is you know this. Sexual temptation is never going to go away in your life. Like after, I'm in my mid-40s. I got mentors in their 50s and 60s like, yeah, sexual temptation never goes away. You got to fight it for the rest of of your life. So just because you get inside the ring of marriage doesn't mean that it's going to go away. You still have to handle it very carefully. Which is why I'm so thankful that all of you showed up navigating an over-sexualized world. It's something that if we're serious about following Jesus, which I hope you are, he's the way to life. This is something that we're going to have to wrap our minds around. I have to like put a stake in the ground. I have to fully understand. So today, as we kind of talk about what does it look like to navigate this, this is the three things we're going to look, go through here. We're going to start with why understanding why is our world so over-sexualized? And then we're going to kind of talk through what exactly is this biblical ring? What is God's design? What is he asking of us? And then we'll, stop, we'll end with some strategies to stay faithful to what he's asked of us in his word.
So here's the thing. We've decided we're not going to try to yell some statistics at you of how overly sexualized the world. Can somebody just say amen that it's crazy? Yeah. I mean, so we're not going to try to convince you of that. Is that fair? We're going to talk about why that is true in our life. And I'm going to first give you the spiritual reason why I think it's true. Um, the spiritual reason is, is that sex is at the root of almost every temptation that Satan throws our way. Listen to this. If you're going to write notes, write this one. Satan is very convincing, but he is not creative. He's very convincing. You know, because you've tasted some of that fruit, but he is not creative. What do you mean? This is Luke chapter 4. The temptations that Satan put in front of Jesus. Jesus, on his earthly ministry, uh, he had a 40-day fast. And he, the scripture says, and he was very hungry, like, duh. <laughs> in 40 days, no food. But Satan, the tempter, came in the end of his 40 days of fasting and tempted him with three things that are the same three things. He's not creative of what he tempts you with. So one of the realities is even what Icky talked about last time is we're dead in our trespasses and sin. We, he's, he knows the fruit to put in front of us to try to fix ourselves. So this is Luke chapter 4. Here's the first verse. In verse 3, it says, The devil said to him, being Jesus, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Remember, Jesus is fasting 40 days. But Jesus answered him and said, It is written, Man must not live by bread alone. The first time of temptation that Satan gives us is appetite. And man, is that true of sex. It is like we crave it. We feel like it will fulfill us. We long for the pleasure that can be found in sex. And almost like we're hungry, God actually wired us biologically with hormones that there's moments where we long for sexual fulfillment. And one of the reasons the world is so sexualized is because Satan knows this. He literally just is constantly putting in front of us, like, you want some bread? You want some sex? I know you're one. I know you're hungry. I know you're trying to wait, but he keeps putting it in front of us. And it's a temptation. He's like, listen, you could be fulfilled. Just go for it. And it's as easy as pulling your phone out. It's appetite. We feel like we need to have it. Temptation number two, verse six says this. The devil said to him, I will give you this splendor, this splendor, their splendor, and all the authority because it has been given over to me and I can give it to anyone I want. If you then will worship me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, worship the Lord God and serve him only. Just a moment. Satan's like, hey, if you worship me, I'll give you all of it. Um, And in that moment, the temptation that Satan is putting in front of Jesus is the temptation of ambition. Now, let me explain this one. What he goes to Jesus and says, he says, listen, I know the end game of you, Jesus, is that all nations would bow down and worship you. And what I'm trying to say is, Jesus, if you'll just worship me right now, I'll give all that to you. I'll let you have some as well. And the temptation was to get get to a justified end by any means possible. Jesus, you're going to get the worship, but if you do that, you won't have to go through the cross. And when it comes to sex, that's the temptation he puts in front of us all the time. For us, we want sex and sexual pleasure without the responsibility of a committed married relationship. That's the end. 
You get to, most of us want the relationship. We want to be intimate with other people. We want to be known by other people, but we get to that end by going in a direction that God never gave us to go. And it's ambition that we want what we want without going the way that God would want us to go. We try to sacrifice the way God designed it. And man, does he do that with sex. Listen, you just want to be known. You want to be appreciated. And you ain't even got to go through all that caring for each other's needs. You just got to hook up. And how well, how good do you feel the next morning? How good do you feel when you have a bender on your phone? It's because you're going to justified ends. You want what God designed as a delight, but you want to get there however you want. It's ambition. And Satan tempts us with it nonstop. Lastly, temptation number three. So he took him to Jerusalem, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will give you angels' orders concerning you to protect you, and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him and says, do not test the Lord your God. Here's the temptation. It's the third A. It's approval. It's approval. And here's what Satan was coming to Jesus. like, hey, Jesus, if you do this cool trick and you jump off and angels save you, everybody's going to think you're the king. Like, that's a cool party trick, right? <laughs> Jumping off the top of a thing, angels catching you. And if you do that, then everybody will think you're incredible. And here's the reason that that was a temptation. In the moment, Jesus was a misunderstood Messiah. When Jesus was walking earth, the world didn't think he was King Jesus. They thought he was crazy. And he's like, but if you'll do this, Jesus, you'll prove that you're awesome and everyone will come after you. And what he's searching for is the temptation that Jesus could have just gotten worship without having to be the misunderstood Messiah. It's about approval. And man, is this true in sex. We are willing to give away our bodies so that we can feel accepted. You know this. I guess the joke. She's got daddy issues. You want to know why? Because she wants approval. She wants someone. By the way, it's easy to say that for girls. Happens for dudes all the time. I got daddy issues. I didn't grow up in the best place. And it's true with porn. It's true with self-pleasure because when you look at that screen and you pleasure yourself, you can make up in your mind that there's someone approving of you, but man, does it feel empty afterwards. You're not approved. You made it up in your brain, but that is the temptation. And that's one of the reasons that spiritually sex is so powerful is because at every one of the temptations that Satan throws at us, sex is involved in all of them. How we interact with sex is involved in all of them. And so no matter what he's throwing, he can put sex in front of us at all times. Yeah. So like spiritually, Looking at the biblical reasons, why is this so difficult? Why is this a difficult topic? Why do we all have to sit here and be like, how do, how do we navigate it? Like spiritually, it is a powerful temptation that'll that'll pull you away from Jesus. But also, you also need to understand the cultural reasons why this is a hard topic for you to navigate. Um, like forty years, fifty years ago, historically, how we defined ourselves was based on our physical reality. Our inner feelings did not dictate our physical reality. 
for example, if I said, I'm like, uh, I'm a man born in a woman's body, that wouldn't have been okay 40 or 50 years ago because my inner feelings, like maybe I felt manly, but my outer reality, my physical limitations would have trumped whatever I was feeling internally. Now, the modern self is not defined that way. What we feel inwardly is defining our physical reality in our culture. This is called expressive individuality. And so what it, what it means in essence is that I, if I don't express my inner feelings or when I express my inner feelings and make my physical reality the same as my inner feelings, that's what authenticity is. In order for me to be authentic, I need to express my inner voice and authenticity equals personal integrity. So if I want to live an integrity, a life full of integrity, I have to be authentic. And in order for me to be authentic, I have to express whatever my inner voice is. And then I conform my physical reality to that. And you guys know that. You value authenticity, right? How many times have you like, I want an authentic friend. I want someone with high integrity, right? And when we say that, and you can think it in your head, when you say that, you're saying you want someone who is honest with who they are on the inside. But here's the thing. When, when we put so much value on that inner voice and authenticity and personal integrity are determined by that inner voice, moral codes, which go against your inner voice, feel oppressive. So now suddenly my inner voice is telling me like to be authentic, I need to act this way or I need to do this thing or, or be this person. If there is a moral code that says, actually, no, that's outside of the ring of God's desire, that feels oppressive. And when that feels oppressive, suddenly our view of God changes and we feel like, is God oppressive? Is he mean? Is he hateful? And we start to to change our view of who God is based on how our inner feelings and our inner voice are telling me that moral code feels and not on the truth of scripture. And so we have to, as Christians, as we learn to follow Jesus, we have to follow, how do we walk this line? How do we acknowledge our inner feelings? Cause they're real and they're given to us by God, right? God designed you. How do we acknowledge those inner feelings, but bring them into alignment with God's authority? We have to learn how to do that as we are discipled and as we grow in our walk with the Lord. The Psalms actually give us a really good roadmap for how to do that. I'm going to just quickly kind of give you just an example of what this looks like in the Psalms, because I think they give us a good picture. Psalms 13, 1 through 2. Here's what it says. How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up my anxious concerns within me? Agony in my mind every day. How long will my enemy dominate me? These are my inner feelings. How long, this is, I'm anxious, I'm in agony. How long, like, this is my inner feelings. We come back in verse five and six. But I have trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously. That's the outer reality. That's the authority of scripture. So we acknowledge that inner reality, those inner voices. What are we feeling? What are we experiencing? But we submit it to the authority of actually who God is in his word. He is generous. He is faithful love. We, he is trustworthy. We can trust him. And so we submit that inner reality to the outer truth of God. We glance at those inner emotions and feelings but we gaze 
into God's good design. And if we get that backwards, we begin to flip how we view God, how we view the scripture, and we start to interpret both of those things through the lens of our emotions and our feelings. Yeah, so I think you just to wrap that up, like there's spiritual reasons. Satan is not, he's very consistent, but he's not creative. He's going to throw those temptations in front of you. But you need to know this. Your generation is the first generation that we know that's dealing with that modern self of like expressive individualism. Like when we grew up, people were like, I don't care what you feel. You do the right thing. And in your generation, it's like, what are your emotions and your feelings telling you? That's your truth. And what we're trying to say is one of the reasons it's hard to navigate is that cultural reality of letting who we are internally not acknowledging it, but not surrendering to the authority of God. So here's what we're going to do. That's a little bit of why it's hard to navigate it, because there's spiritual forces against us. There's cultural forces against us. What we're going to talk about now, and again, we're not going to talk about it super long, but what is the ring? What is the actual ring? And then we're going to talk about some strategies. So try to get practical in your life, like hanging out in your dorm room. How do you fight against this sort of thing? So let's talk about the ring. All right. Do you, first of all, do you like the analogy of the ring in that kind so of So get it? The ring? You, you get it. You, you get see the that? ring. You get the Y'all ring, ring of fire. You know, you got it all. Okay. Some I, of you I, are I just, just wanted, waking I mean, up and I'm offended because I, I thought I it was want, good. I just want to make sure. Yeah. I want to give you credit for that. Yeah. That was all you. That was We were working all on my whiteboard you. and I was like, oh, Ooh. the ring. You got that? All right. All right. There you go. There we go. Let's there go. There you go. All right. You'll never forget it now, right? Hopefully. <laughs> all right. You all can go have a campfire tonight, wherever you're, wherever you're saying. Okay. Um, okay. So what is the ring? I think that's very important. If we want to follow God, sex is designed by God as a gift for us, but it's within this ring. So what is the ring? One Chapters one and two of Genesis, very first book of the Bible, very first two chapters, give us a really good outline of what actually, how God designed um, sex. Genesis one twenty seven says, so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. First of all, I just want to say you are created in the image of God. Let's go. So I want you to believe that about yourself. Sometimes we only believe the worst about ourselves, but this is Genesis one, right at the beginning of the, preach, of the Bible, up. what is most important to God for you to know is that you were created in his image. When you're creative, you're expressing his image to the world. When you are kind, when you show love, that is God expressing himself through you. So be aware that you are created in God's image and he loves you. He created them male and female. God on purpose created male and female. He did not make a mistake with that. Sex is designed within male and female. We jump to chapter 2, verse 24. It says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Sex was designed physically to become one flesh, to, to make this literal act of two people becoming one. We're becoming one family. We're bonded together. We're committed to each other. We're moving forward in this covenant relationship it was not designed for a hookup or, or to appease our appetite or our ambition. Um, it was not designed that way. It was designed as this physical rea- reality for two people to come together in a covenant relationship, and we're going to conquer the world together. But metaphorically, it was also designed as an emotional and spiritual bond. The two are becoming one flesh Sex is a vulnerable thing. 
And it is designed in a way that it is with your lifelong partner in marriage. So you can be emotionally, spiritually connected and you can conquer the world that God's put in front of you together. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, so I'm, supposed to, I'm not supposed to tag on right now, but I'm going to. Here's the thing. The number, we do so much premarital counseling and helping people get married and have made serious sexual mistakes and trying to help them through this. Do you know how much harder it is to emotionally connect with someone and become emotionally one with someone than it is to hook up with them? Like, it's easy to hook up. It is so hard to learn to come to the end of yourself. And a lot of people don't ever join that emotional intimacy because they mask it with physical intimacy. That's for free, but whatever. <laughs> um, sexual, what is outside the ring? I'm going to call it sexual immorality, and that's a, that's a big fancy word, but I'm going to tell you why I want to use that word. This is 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5. It says, for this is God's will. Your sanctification that you keep away from sexual immorality. That each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who do not know God. That word sexual immorality there, um, oftentimes Greek isn't super helpful, but I went to seminary, so I'm going to tell you anyways. <laughs> um, Sexual immorality, the word there in Greek, it's porneia. I wonder where we get one of the words that we use all the time. It's porneia. That word can mean anything. Like It's like an umbrella term of anything sexual immorality. So sex outside of marriage. It's the hookup you didn't mean or did mean to do. It is the committed boyfriend and girlfriend, and you're just like, I love you so much, and you didn't have the right boundaries, and you found yourself in a place. It is the fiance. It's like, well, it's not that big of a deal because we're getting married anyways. It is adultery. Most of you aren't playing in that world, but I pastor adults. It's a big problem. It's not just those things. It's also same-sex acts. By the way, it's all of these things. It's more than that. It's lust. It's porn. It's self-pleasure. And here's the way I would say it is that it's any sex act or any engaged sexual thought. Um, one of my buddies one time, he said, listen, um, he was talking to a bunch of guys. He's like, hey, guys. The first look is on God. He made her beautiful. The second look is on you. (laughs) And here's the idea. Guys, we live in a beautiful world. God made beautiful human beings. But if you take a thought and you engage it, now we're dealing with lust. And the scripture speaks definitely clearly about that. In fact, Matthew 5, 27, you've been to Keystone this semester. You heard me preach this passage. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. Like, we can all agree, man. Like, even non-Christians would think that's crazy. Like, that's a kind of broken trust that gets hard. But here, don't commit adultery. But listen to what Jesus says. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in her heart. So it's not like you are guilty of that. But what he's saying is you're trying to ignore that what you do with your thought and what you do with your eyes doesn't matter. And he's like, you're still guilty, bro. You're still guilty. Even our own thoughts, like the thoughts. So this idea of lust is, is when we have a sexual thought, guys, we are sexual creations. You have hormones going, but when you not just have it, but you engage that thought and you move the ball down the field, it is absolutely anything outside of the ring. And again, 
What happens outside of the ring? Destruction. That fire catches and it's gone. Like it just destroys so much stuff. Fighting sexual temptation is a lifelong battle. Um, You've heard spiritually the temptation that the enemy is going to come after you to keep you from following Jesus because he knows that's where you're going to find life and life abundant because that's what Jesus promises us. Culturally, it's going to be hard for you because the culture that you've been discipled in and raised up in says your inner voice matters more than the truth of Scripture. And so navigating sexual temptation is going to be a lifelong battle, something that you're going to have to do the rest of your life, but something you should never do in isolation. It's like a full contact team sport. Yeah, that's our metaphor for you today. It's a full contact team sport. Any sports that were in college, any sports players up in here? Like, you know this, right? Sport has offense and it has I mean, defense. intramural sports. Yeah, intramural. How many of you? Fun, sports for fun. Listen, you need to know this. Going out on a Friday night an and we play some ultimate frisbee. Like, I'm not out, an athlete. I was climbing. a band nerd. Right. Somebody. I just want to. Musicians inc- in the house? I mean. Let's go. All right. It's a full contact, lifelong team sport. Let's talk about this. So now we're in the areas of like, why is it hard to navigate? What is the ring? And now we're on, how do you stay faithful? These are some strategies for you to stay faithful. So the first one is this. You have got to play offense. You have got to take the fight forward. You can't just sit and be a victim of temptation. You actually have to take steps, get on offense, and try to get that away from you. And I want to read a passage. This is right after the passage that I just read in the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is still teaching, and this is what he says. He's like, by the way, you don't commit adultery, but if you've lost, you've done it in your heart. And then this is what he says. This is his advice. This is his playbook. It's offense. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. Let's go. (laughs) Why do you hate eyes so much? I was going to say clapping for gouging your eye out. That's the first. That's the first. And so later tonight, we're going to have an eye gouging (laughs) ceremony. No. I'm kidding. It's it's, it's a lie. That is a lie. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than your whole body go to hell. Let me tell you what it means to play offense. Eliminate the threat. Eliminate the threat. If there's a possibility of temptation, if there's a place you can go that you know you're not going to win, eliminate the threat. Cut it off, gouge it out, get rid of the possibility. You got to play offense. This isn't a shield that you're putting up. This is a sword in your hand. I ain't playing with this. I'm getting rid of it. And what's interesting is this eyes and hands we see here. Jesus loved this metaphor. Matthew 18, he does the same metaphor, but here's the idea is watch what it does. It's not just the physical parts of your body, but look what they represent. If your eyes, if what you see causes you to sin, get rid of it. Some of you on Netflix in the night, and you know, you can't survive that temptation. Some of you are scrolling on TikTok and you know the algorithm is eating you up. Get rid of it. Your hands, what you do. 
Like there's a, there's a good, several of my good friends, they were personal trainers and they fell into massive sexual temptation and do, did some really stupid stuff. And that dude is no longer a personal trainer because he can't handle temptation in that environment. He changed his job. He got changed what he does. Also, where you go. Some of you know, if I go to that apartment, it's problems. If I go to that club, if I go to that friend's house, if I go here, if I go there, you know you can't handle temptation. And what Jesus says, don't go. Cut it off. Get rid of it. Eliminate the threads. There's a list of items that are possible to remove, but often aren't. Eyes what you see. I told you, TV streaming. Listen, if your generation would catch this, it would be very, very helpful for your spiritual health. The algorithm is not for your holiness, but will lead you to destruction. I ain't hating on social media, okay? I'm hating on an algorithm that if you bend one time to temptation and slow down one time on that one video, it's going to feed you and feed you and feed you. It's going to feed you. I cut it off. Phone in general. Listen, this is author's. Erotic material, like erotic is a genre. If it's your job, if it's where you go, eliminate the threat. Listen, I, I've been a pastor for a lot of time, a lot of years. I cannot tell you the number of people that I've set across with tears streaming down their face that have made massive mistakes, that if they would have just had the courage to say, I can't handle that app, If they would have just dropped their pride and said, I need somebody to have a code for me to use that app, I can't go to that place. They would have avoided it all. Like, I wish, I I actually just removed stories because we ain't got time. It's just story after story. You got to play offense, which means you have to eliminate the threat. Yeah, and so this is where it's helpful to live in community to be part of a salt company, to be part of a connection group. Um, Offense is easier when you have a team around you, right? But not just offense. I'm going to give you a helpful acronym to help you play defense as well. Defense, um, I want you to write down the word HALT, H-A-L-T. These are going to be four simple things that we know when these happen in our lives, we're going to give in to temptation a little bit easier. So when we feel tempted, we're going to ask ourselves, halt, are we hungry? Because a lot of times when we're hungry, we get grouchy. And when we get grouchy, we get, oh, like we just want to doom scroll. And then sometimes that algorithm gets to us or we want to stream something or we want to just read something. We hunger, hunger is a real thing. And it, sometimes causes us to make really poor decisions. We just need some fruit snacks in our pocket, right? Like a true, spoken like a true mom. Like, I know. I mean, snacks. everybody likes fruit snacks. Our senior in high school, she would eat a whole box of fruit snacks. We got six I'm minutes. Done. Okay, I'll, I'll hurry. A, angry. When you are angry, when something happens that makes you upset, you are more likely to give in to temptation. And this is just simply because sometimes we don't know what to do with our anger. We don't know where to put it. And so we go back, we doom scroll, we get on our, we watch a TV show, we get on YouTube and start watching videos and the next one's suggested. And before you know it, we're trying to avoid that emotion of anger. Um, and 
slowly that becomes right. It burns over time. It can cause us to just give into that temptation when we're lonely. So maybe we haven't been to salt company. while. we're not part of a connection group. It hasn't worked out for us. We don't have a lot of Christian friends. We're feeling lonely or maybe all of our friends suddenly have these committed relationships and we do not. Right? So we need to actively then be like, Oh, I'm lonely. I'm, I'm tempted to give into temptation here because I need to go find a group of people to hang with. And that is when we give into temptation or when you're really tired. So after this weekend, you're, you're going to be, to be really tired. And on the way home, you might be really tired. And next week, you're going to be really tired. And so what plans are you going to put into fit place? I'm really tired. So how am I going to lock down my phone? How am I going to lock down my YouTube account? What can I do? Who am I going to talk to? Who am I going to have to ask me some questions? What am I going to do? Because I know when I'm tired, I want to just waste time. And usually wasting time leads me into... Um, places that can cause further temptation. I mean, for the record, look at it. Satan came to Jesus when he was H, hungry, right? It's like, that's when you're going to lose your mind. Like sometimes you just need a little sugar, a little snack. But this sounds really simple, but I'm telling you, the number of times that you make big temptation mistakes, one of these four things is true. I have accountability with someone just this week. He's like, um, I, he goes, this was an actually an easy week because I've been off school and I'm not tired and it's way easier to fight against sin when I'm not tired. Yeah. She just told me I have four minutes. All right. Payback. Team sport. We're going to, I'm going to, you guys should know this. You can't do this alone. Say it with me. We can't do it alone. Say it. If you cannot drop your guard and ask for somebody's help, good luck. Good luck. You got a C group, and if you don't, go talk to your salt director. You can get a C group. But listen, really quickly, and then we're going to close. Confession is so important. But confession is the first step in repentance. There's so many college students that I know that they're like, yo, I screwed up last night. And they they feel better about themselves because they just said it out loud. Do you know what the scripture says? That we should confess and repent. Do you know what repent means? It's like, don't just admit that you're wrong. Change your ways, bro. Like, don't keep going back to that like a dog to vomit is what Proverbs says. Like, you actually need to change. So when you confess, that's the first step to turning and repenting. But you've got to have people on your side. So as we end here, here's what I want you to, to think about deep in your soul. God loves you. He created you. He created you exactly the way he desired you to be. His word is full of goodness and truth that wants to lead you into life and life abundant. And so as we navigate this sexual reality and as we see this ring and how God desired, desired sex to live with inside this ring, we have to remind ourselves, oh yeah, because a good God designed it that way. And he knows because he created me that if I step over here, it's going to ultimately lead to my destruction. I'm not just checking off a, bit, a, bit, a bunch of rules to obey, and that's going to make everything great. I am following a good God because I trust that his path for my life leads to life and not death. I'm just telling you, man, and I'm going to pray for you. Satan came to kill, steal, and destroy. That's not my words, that's the Bible. And if we can cause you, help you to not fall 
for the traps of the enemy here. Listen, what God wants for your sexual life is good. It's a delight. We ain't trying to preach religious rules to you. We really believe that Jesus came that we could have life and have it more abundant. But most of us are unwilling to listen to his good teachings. And they're good. And I, I can tell you that we've been married 20 years. And I can also tell yeah, you can give a clap for that. And if I could bring you in every moment of my pastoral ministry and you could see the destruction and the tears and the regret because people sitting at your age didn't do it and take it seriously, you would take it seriously. We love you. We're proud of you. This is grace and truth. You're received, but go in truth. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, thank you for these brothers and sisters who are sitting in this room saying, God, how do I deal with this? And I pray by your spirit that you would take just a few of the words that we've said today and you would fill them with faith. You would fill them with courage. You would fill them with humbleness to go ask for help. In the name of Jesus, give some brothers some courage to get some apps off their phone. Give some brothers and sisters the courage to say no more. We're going to honor the Lord. God, that would be a work of your spirit. It's not a religious game. It's the movement of your spirit giving us courage to step by faith into your word. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Love you guys. Have a great day.